0: Welcome to Conversation 360 Podcasts and another episode in our second series of Asia and the West. I'm your host, Susan Bird. As with our first series, we showcase people whose life, work, and experience shed light on what's taking place in and between these two critically important parts of our world. We're especially focused on China, and you'll hear from people with fascinating things to share about other parts of Asia as well. This next episode took place in Hong Kong in the offices of Norma Rosenhain, who came to China decades ago when her friends in Australia said, China? Where's that? And built an empire manufacturing toys, ultimately billions of them, for export to the rest of the world, a good many of them to accompany McDonald's Happy Meals. Norma is the one who set the standards for many of the manufacturing processes she perfected. In this podcast, you'll hear Norma's facts and figures on everything involved in manufacturing in China. And she'll tell you about China's serious shift to green manufacturing and robotics as they move up the manufacturing gravy train to dominance. Then she'll fill you in on how she has vertically integrated her business so that she now licenses IP for music, even hard-to-get Beatles music, and films as well. Having learned from the Chinese the importance of having a long-term view, Norma is poised to expand her business even more, reaping the rewards.
1: It was certainly a, a manufacturing place when I came and for many years, but now the big opportunity is to sell back into China. Goods that could be manufactured in China, but could be manufactured anywhere. That's Norma
0: talking about how she and her company have come full circle from manufacturing in China for export to the Western markets to manufacturing in the West for export of goods to the Chinese consuming market. She's impressed with the Chinese and how they've played it smart in the world of global economics.
1: Look at their economic power. They don't have billions of dollars worth of debt. They, in fact, have loaned billions of dollars to the West. And that's the way the Chinese think. They don't spend what they don't have.
0: Norma knows China from the inside and tells of the brilliance of the McDonald's strategy to attract the best brands to collaborate with them.
1: Every company that has a powerful licence really wants it to be promoted by McDonald's in a Happy Meal because then the whole world knows about it immediately. There's no advertising budget that any company has to put behind a product that's equal to that product being a Happy Meal.
0: And her licensing deals are now long-term.
1: Then after Series 2 of Netflix, then there is a a movie that's coming, and then a Series 3. There's 10 years of continuous content in, in the pipeline. We talk
0: about all this and much more. You'll be listening to one of the most knowledgeable people in the world about manufacturing and licensing products for the Chinese market. So let's get started. Norma, welcome to Conversation 360 podcast and this Asia in the West series.
1: Thank you, Susan. I'm delighted to be here, and it's great to see you again.
0: Well, thank you. I feel the same. So when I mention conversations taking place between Asia and the West. What, what does that bring to mind to you? What does that mean?
1: I, I really do believe that unless you really understand the Chinese, it's not a conversation, it's a one-way talking. So often I see Americans talking down to the Chinese and they're very polite
0: The Chinese are very polite. The
1: Chinese are very polite. They never answer back. Um, But, of course, they then continue to do what they know they need to do (laughs) and the way they need to do it. For example, when Code of Conduct was first um, made an issue in China, the large corporations printed it all out in English, expected that we would place that up on the walls of the factories and all would be well well of course factory workers don't read english and it meant absolutely nothing to any of them so what we needed to do was um, we created a little animation television series that depicted what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do and then we needed to bring in all the workers and train them and then place like a comic book up on the factory wall exactly what the code of conduct meant. When was that? That would have been 15 years ago it began to become important. In the last 10 years it's been more important and now it's super important.
0: And so you did that. Did other people doing manufacturing stuff? I had no
1: idea what other people did but because I was a teacher in my first career I I, I realize that you have to it only works if every worker understands what his rights are it doesn't work to give the code of conduct to the factory owner
0: indeed so that's a good example so how has if it has how has the conversation shifted in the last decade and a half
1: i think there's a lot more understanding now between the west and uh, china there's more um, when i first started manufacturing in china nobody was even particularly aware of china as a really good place to manufacture it was um, i went to one corporation and said really you could have a way better widget in your cereal box if you got had it made in china china where's that do they even wash their hands over there it was just so foreign the whole idea of of manufacturing in China. Wow, you were really ahead of the curve. So you you started that 40 years ago? 40 years ago, yes. Um, but now um, most major corporations actually have their own offices in China. They have all worked out that that's, it, it's become the factory for the world over those years. Well, and in, even that's shifting in terms of
0: the way they're trying oh, to deal with their... Economy, right? So, but let's go back to that. So, since you since you took that step, really a gutsy, fascinating move forty years ago. So, since then, you've exported billions of products manufactured in China,
1: everywhere. You send them everywhere. Yes, one hundred and twenty countries. We average about a billion products a year. So, I guess I don't think we've really produced forty billion because we scaled up over that that time. But probably twenty billion products. Wow. So there have not only been changes in the
0: conversation, as we discussed, but there have been changes in manufacturing. Indeed, you've probably led most of them. So what, what's happened? How has it shifted?
1: Well, um, the Chinese call it, we're suffering in cold winter.
0: What does that mean?
1: And it just means that conditions are way less favorable now than they were 40 years ago. And I could go through them one by one if you'd like. Well, I'm just,
0: when you say conditions are different, how are they different?
1: Well, um, uh, let me compare manufacturing in USA and manufacturing in China. Okay. Just as a comparison. So um, there's setup costs. So the land cost in China is nine times more expensive than it is in USA right now. Really? Yes. And in some places, like in Shenzhen's industrial cities, it's 50 times higher. Um, and then land ownership in US is freehold, whereas you only own the land for 50 years in China. Or you only have access to it for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Then there's the factory construction cost. This is where it's better in China. Um, it costs four times less in China to build the factory than US. But US maintain their buildings much better, so if you're buying an existing factory that's still in good condition, then um, the factory costs would be similar. Um, But I think that the most significant is the bank loan cost. China, it costs 2.4% more to get a loan in US, um, in China than in US. The lowest annual interest rate in the US, I believe, is about 2.5%. Mm-hmm. 6% is the lowest you can get in China. But if you can't get bank finance, and it is very difficult to get bank finance in China, then you'll pay uh, over 10%. Private equity will charge you 15 and what the Chinese called loan sharks charge 20%. So why is it difficult? Well, for example, take toys.
0: Which is your business? Which is my
1: business, yes. Um, Hong Kong banks, uh, HSBC, some years ago when there was a real problem in the toy industry, they just simply made the ruling they will not lend for toys. End of story. So a toy manufacturer is very unlikely to be able to get a bank finance. Interesting. So then you go to the running costs labor of course has always been the big advantage for China
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but it is now that's changing that's changed dramatically it's only now 2.57 times less than USA between 2004 and 2014 China labor costs increased 250% and now it's increasing Double digits every year, around about thirteen percent.
0: Now, is that partly because Norma, China is essentially trying to get out of the manufacturing business? They're trying to change their economy to a domestically, um, sustain, self-sustaining one.
1: They definitely don't want to get out of the manufacturing business. The the China government has plans for how to reinvent the manufacturing business. Um, I think it's because. Um, China wanted to improve the status of their people, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the poverty when manufacturing started in China was was rife, and now, um, because of all the great manufacturing that they've been able to achieve, there are as many middle class, more middle class people in China than there are in USA. So that's the a standard. Sta- that's a staggering
0: thing. It is, people, yes. Isn't it? Because I don't think Americans understand that.
1: No. Um, manufacturing has brought wealth to China, and it's been the government's plan to increase the lot of their workers over the time. And the government set the, the rates. So in time, will this shift?
0: Chinese manufacturing, will, will it continue to have an advantage in labor cost? Or no, is that going
1: to go away? I believe it will go away completely, Yes. Um, Then you come to logistics costs. It costs twice as um, much in... um, They're twice as high in China. What do you include in that? What does that mean, logistics Well, um, there's... The price of gasoline is twice as high, and there's road tolls and bridge tolls. Just getting stuff around. Yeah, yeah, just getting stuff around. Then energy. Energy costs in China is twice, actually 2.2 that of USA... And that's because the China government controls the electricity price, and of course in US it's much more highly automated. China controls Hong Kong's electricity prices as well, right? I believe so. Yeah. They yeah. not only control the price; they control when you can have the, the electricity on. So um, we have a office in Shenzhen, and when the government says the power goes off, the power goes off and there's not a single thing you can do about it. It can be really hot and that you can't have air conditioning. So, you know, they can try they turn the switch on and they turn the switch off. Good. Um then there's the cost of steam. It's it's um two point one times higher in China. And then spare parts. You, you might wonder why spare parts would be 3.2 times higher in China than U.S. And that's because of the workers, really. The USA equipment is is better performing and the workers are t- better trained to look after their equipment so they don't put in a such a high cost for spare parts. Well, now that'll shift too,
0: though, won't it, as people are more highly trained here?
1: Yes, yes, I, I agree that would shift. hmm Then there's the customs clearance costs. There aren't any in USA, but in China, when you're importing, all of your raw materials have uh, import duties paid per container. Then there's the shipment fees, the custom tax, the added value tax, and so it goes. It (laughs) Mm -hmm. works out to be $22 a tonne. And then uh, China exporting. Chinese factories have to pay per container for all of those same procedures when the raw materials go out as goods. Oh, right. Okay. And there's all the shipping, of course. And then I guess the next, I, I call it policy costs, but most people might just call it red tape. Uh-huh. In China, there's a cost, the necessary cost to get permission and certificates for every single thing you do, and it takes time. And that's, that's an issue too, isn't it? As to
0: how long it actually takes because it, it you is. have to, you have to be vigilant. You have to go talk
1: to the right people. You have to have partners. You have to, yeah. And you have to do it over and over again. And there's all the lining up, of course. Don't expect to be at the head of the queue. Mm-hmm. And, um, tax cost has become a problem of late. The Chinese call it the deadly tax rate. Um, in 2000, it was 21%. This is what China, how China this taxes... Its... Have, have risen over the years. Okay. So in 1995, it was 16.5%. In 2000, 21%. Wow. By 2005, it's 26%. 2010, 36%. 2015, 37%. And now it's 40%. And as far as the Chinese are concerned, it's, it's just deadly. It's just playing too high. So what is the result of all this? So it's not easy. It's not easy, and uh, the Chinese refer to what's happening as running away. A lot of their high-profile, iconic manufacturers of the past have simply chose to leave. And they're going to Vietnam? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. If they want lower labor, then they go to Vietnam and to pakistan and even brazil um, if they want high tech and then they go to usa germany to the west Hmm. and so that means that the actual scale of manufacturing has been shrinking and then some factory owners simply just close the doors and sell them sell the uh, real estate or um, become a loan shark really so What's the answer to all this? I mean, you're still here
0: and you're doing a tremendous amount of manufacturing.
1: Yes. Well, we have been looking ahead. There's two answers. There's answers for individuals like myself, and there's answers from the government's point of view. And the government obviously um, are very worried about this. And so they have outlined what they call Made in China 2025. And that's their future roadmap for manufacturing. It's been run by the China State Council, and it's their 10-year plan to transform China back into what, what used to be, which is the world's manufacturing power. And they have identified eight main tasks, main priorities. Wow. Um, the first is obviously innovation. The second is integrating technology in industry. The third is simply strengthening the industrial base. fourth one I find really interesting, they want to foster Chinese brands That's that's interesting because they've been using the Western
0: view of... They've fallen in love with Western brands. So they're saying, enough of that, let's have Chinese brands. And
1: I think they'll still love Western brands, but they have to develop their own. Mm -hmm. And at last, they're worrying about green manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Now, Europe was first in the world for that, but China has realised it's important for the quality of life of their people. And then they are going to be advancing high-tech equipment promoting service-oriented manufacturing and What does course, that mean? Well not just manufacturing goods but also getting in the service business Okay. Mm-hmm. and then internationalizing manufacturing and that means instead of waiting for the Americans to set up the biggest toy factory they will go over to America and partner with someone like myself and set up the biggest toy factory That's a
0: real departure then from... It is, well, uh-huh. okay. yes
1: um, so the government then needs to be focusing on a number of different sectors within this and I find these really interesting. Um, there's 10 of them. They call it intelligent manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So there's new information technology, tools and robotics, aerospace equipment, high-tech ships, railway equipment, energy saving power, equipment, new materials, medicine and medical devices. that so we've had some, some experience in this, and they are really going after medical. Of course, that's the highest markup of anything. Mm. And then finally, agricultural. So when,
0: you, when I think of this list as you've recited it, we're talking about sophisticated, complicated kinds of manufacturing. This is not just
1: putting little stuff together. This is big stuff. Exactly. They want to move to the very top of the manufacturing gravy train. So
0: what are the important factors here for us to know about? How, do, how, do we, how does this get communicated and what's going to happen?
1: Well, uh, of all the countries on earth, I think that China has been the country where trust is the most important, especially trust of anyone that isn't Chinese. And, of course, they've needed to work with non-Chinese people. And so earning the trust of the Chinese is paramount to doing business. And it cannot happen in a short time. You can have a dinner with a Western person at the end of it figure, you know what, I like that person. I'd like to do business with them. It takes years in China. And that's still true, you think? Yes, absolutely. Okay. It may have sped up a little, but um, the Chinese want to know that you're there for the long term. And, of course, their thinking is always long term.
0: In fact, it seems to me that when you say that, it underscores what's always, I know, been frustrating to so, so many companies that in the West, especially in America, we have this quarterly mentality that people are reporting to Wall Street. They don't have that.
1: They, well, they don't have the Wall term. Street to worry about. And they, they, as a country, they've always been long-term thinkers. Well, it seems to be paying off. So Yes. So... Um, that's always been my focus to earn their trust and I've I've been here for 40 years I've realized it's taken a long time but it's been well worth it Uh, when I first went to Shenzhen for manufacturing it was a little fishing village is that right yes a little fishing village with dirt roads and now it's the size and scale of Hong Kong
0: oh my god so it
1: has grown a lot over those years and um, we've worked as partners with our factory suppliers in toy manufacturing. And that's the way we've mitigated a large part of the cost increase problems that I've mentioned to you before.
0: But now, Norma, isn't it, isn't it true that anybody who comes into China, let's say, that wants to do um, the kind of manufacturing that you've been doing, don't they have to come in and establish partnerships? Can it be done independently?
1: When I say partnership, I don't mean that I own half of it. Um, I mean partnership mentality. Ah, so we're talking about collaboration. Collaboration, yes, because, uh, and it's not the general thing. The general um, treatment over the years of Chinese manufacturers has been one of master and servant, like I'm the buyer, and what I say goes, you're merely the supplier, you're the servant. And that master-servant mentality does not um, encourage partnership in any way. It's pretty much over now, isn't it? I mean, does anybody still do that? Yes. Really? It's not as bad as it was, but you still see quite a bit of it. Hmm. And of course, the Chinese remember. They do. They don't, they don't only plan long term; they remember long term. Ah, uh, the elephant. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we've tried to do is bring some warmth and lessen that cold weather suffering, and um, and I go back to creators core values our core values are caring daring and sharing Mm -hmm. so in our caring we don't just care for our staff our clients and our customers we care equally about our suppliers and when we share we share best practices how this has worked with the suppliers we have a core group of factories and we focus on improvements with each one of them And they are all focusing on something different because they know that what they design will be shared amongst the rest of our core factories. So if, if you come up with one great idea a year, every factory gets 10 great ideas.
0: Oh, that's terrific. Mm-hmm. So
1: they, they, there's none of this competitive, this is mine and I'm mm-hmm. not going to share it. And that's because they receive benefit from others.
0: Now, do they otherwise, just so I understand how this works, let's say there were ten of them. Do they otherwise, uh, collaborate with each other? Do they work only with you? Do you work, ex- do they work exclusively with your company? Or are they communicating and collaborating on other stuff too?
1: They never collaborated before we started they were they regarded each each other other, with each other they regarded each other as competitors they were friendly to each other but definitely competitors because at the end of the day the best price wins so they have a reason to feel that they're competing Um, but the the answer to this is getting everyone in a room and having a giving out volume based on best scores so when we award the volume of our business we have a a score and part of it is price and quality and on-time delivery and all of the things you would expect but one of the very high ranking scores is what you shared so at the end of the day if you want to get more volume you must share and you, you must come up with some new innovation and share it with with the others. And of course, as a team, they are better than the rest of the industry.
0: I was just going to say, so you've set a standard here that other people are obviously
1: trying to follow, not smart enough to follow. Um, I'm sure others will, will try to follow. I believe we're ahead in this. Um, our aim is in fact to have fully, uh, fully automated toy manufacturing in USA in the next 10 years. Really? with these same China partners. Wow.
0: So I know that when, when we first met, and this was some time ago, you're, you had a huge client, and it was McDonald's. They're yes. still a client of yours, right? They are, yes. Now, given what you've just told me about the rise of production costs in China, how does it happen that those Happy Meal toys, because you, you design, manufacture, and handle all those toys, right?
1: 50% of them. OK. How, do
0: they still, how are they still so good, and how can McDonald's afford to give them away if the production
1: costs have gone up so much? And this is the very thing that drove our activities. Because McDonald's could not afford a 230% increase in mm-hmm. toys, mm-hmm. in fact, the toy price between now and when we started isn't even double. Um, 35 years ago, the price hasn't even doubled. Um, wow. Because McDonald's is in the value business they, um, the, the toy there is to help um, with the driving the Happy Meal sales and, and it's they, they can't afford to increase the price of the toy. So what we've had to do is increase efficiency every year. And because of the volume wow. of the McDonald's toys and the fact that all of our core factories are involved in supplying, that's why they've worked together. And McDonald's um, have a standard which is called um, system first so if you are in the system you put the system first and all the factories have to think of what's best for the system what is best for the system is that the Happy Meal toy price doesn't rise otherwise they wouldn't they couldn't afford to have a Happy Meal toy. How many so, of
0: those are manufactured every year? Um, one and a
1: half billion
0: and is that the, do you represent 50% of that or is that all of yours
1: no that uh, we represent 50% of that
0: that's huge so so what you've really done is you've taken this efficiency thing and it's directly correlated to the to the value that 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 you've been able to they they keep the price down because you've gotten so smart about how to manufacture this stuff correct pretty smart Now, I noticed that somebody, where did I read this, about the Australian government awarded you an honour, that you're an officer of the Order of Australia. For what did you get that?
1: Um, I was awarded that for my innovation in manufacturing and my contribution to Australia and China relationships and for the charities that we have, most of which are in China, which is providing nannies and carers for the children in orphanages in China.
0: Oh I remember you telling me about that some years ago so how has that grown? Well give us
1: a sense. um, That's grown very well we felt we're keeping children around the world happy with toys and what Mm. about the children in China and it's nothing more heartbreaking than to see a perfectly beautiful little China girl being handed over for adoption purely because she wasn't born a boy.
0: Mm-hmm. It's still going on. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Hopefully with the um, one-child policy now being uh, lifted, it will not be so bad in the future. So how many children like that have you um, had go through the
0: orphanage?
1: Well, there's a number orphanages, of orphanages. Oh, I should say. Thousands. I haven't count kept count. But one of the loveliest... Parts of that is the the um, bringing an employee over to China and and someone that wants to spend their annual holidays helping out with um with the children. They are, it's life changing. Really, they don't go back and say, "Can I have the corner office?" Oh, they fair. go back so grateful that they were born in America or born in Australia, and weren't born an orphanage, an orphan in China. Sometimes it takes an experience like that to help you count your blessings.
0: Yeah, what an impact, not only on the children involved, but as you're saying, it could have global impact. So speaking of impact, what about the current slowdown in the Chinese economy? What, 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 how, do, how does that relate to what you do? What, what's the impact that you've seen?
1: The, the Chinese actually call, are calling in this the new normal. Um, and they are saying that economic development in the future will be slower, it'll be higher quality, and it'll be a more sustainable growth driven by domestic consumption, the service sector and innovation. So I know the rest of the world see it as being a problem, but the Chinese government see it as the new norm.
0: So that's how the Chinese government sees it. How about the people in China? Do you have any sense of now especially millennials who have seen nothing but exponential growth is there a is there a concern now that this won't be sustained they had you know such incredible expansion or is it simply something that's understood
1: i i believe it's understood mm. i mean what the average person cares about is their own standard of living they're not really that concerned about whether there's thirteen percent growth if they 've got a good job and they're being paid for it, and now all of a sudden the government's is is concerned about there being educational benefits and all kinds of benefits that were never there before then this is this is good yeah
0: it's the harmony that China talks about right yes uh-huh. yes,
1: exactly, so how does all
0: this over the these decades what has happened to the to your business in general, I know you're still doing all the McDonald's business, but you've done much more. You've 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 shifted your own focus.
1: Uh, yes, I've um, in in working with McDonald's. Of course, there's the area of licensing. It starts with calendar planning, and I've decided that that's where I need to start. Also, whoever owns the IP really owns the process from there on in. So. Fortunately, my husband has a, and his partner have created some wonderful IP and he has granted me the global licensing rights for that IP. <laughs> and, um, and then my son who runs that business has granted me the Master Toy License. So we have Ultimate Source, which is our retail toy company. And um, that is a way of being able to fully vertebrate the process. So an example of that is um, Beat Bugs, which is the wonderful music of the Beatles put to animation for children. Which you somehow were able to license. Well, as I say, that was my husband. It took him three years. That's amazing. Yes. It's the hardest, most protected music catalogue in the world, and everyone's been trying to get it forever. Um, but he's just a very patient, very um, charismatic man, I guess, and... Uh, also, his partner Josh Wakeley is extremely creative and he came up with a show that persuaded Sony that it would introduce the Beatles music to a new generation no idea, who it. would then love it. And it's so great to have three generations all listening to and loving the same music, grandparents, parents, and the children. That's so great.
0: Well, in a way, as you're describing the business, you know, your husband's involvement, your involvement, your son's involvement, it's much like many Chinese companies that are family businesses and have grown
1: exponentially. Yes, that's one thing that China does teach you. They have a tremendous respect for family, respect for um, the knowledge of older people, Um, It's really lovely to see, and it's, of course, very rewarding as a parent to have your children and your family involved in business.
0: Now, we talked at the very beginning about how you started essentially manufacturing stuff here, so China was really a source. It was the way to get stuff, and now you see it, it's kind of come full circle. Now you're selling stuff to the Chinese, right?
1: Exactly, yes. It was certainly a a manufacturing place when I came and for many years. But now, the big opportunity is to sell back into China. Goods that could be manufactured in China, but could be manufactured anywhere. Seeing China is going to be the most exciting marketplace in the world in the future. And it is already an exciting marketplace. Now, what
0: what could challenge this, not just for your business, but in general? The whole idea of China sustaining its future in a way that's positive. What what are the challenges?
1: I have learned to have trust in the China government. I know that might sound strange as a Western person, but because they are not a democracy, they have the power to get things done and they do get things done. Um, and I I believe that they have will con- continue to control the country in an organized fashion and of course the Chinese consumerism once once you have money and and goods and get exposed to wonderful brands there's no going back so uh, there's so many people there in China who've got so much yet to buy so much less, um, yet to enjoy mm-hmm. it's almost like a limitless so you're totally yeah.
0: bullish about China's future.
1: Absolutely. So what about but the... Not, not the way it was in the past. Mm. But, I mean, look at, their, look at their economic power. They don't have billions of dollars worth of debt. They, in fact, have loaned billions of dollars to the West. And that's the way the Chinese think. They don't spend what they don't have. And it doesn't matter how little they may earn; they will always save some. There's a lesson there
0: that we haven't learned elsewhere in the world, isn't there? But I'm I'm fascinated. I think of all the people I've talked with thus far, you are the most bullish about this. Is this because of your faith in the way that the government has maintained things in the past? And actually, you've got four decades of experience here that that speak well to. to uh, Thinking that you're probably very much right. Now you had said that you in, in now that you've gone into the licensing business, you mentioned the word the calendar. What does that mean?
1: Um, well, there's <clears throat> the, the McDonald's calendar. Um, there's twelve months in the year, and every month McDonald's promotes a completely different license so it might be Minions this month and Kung Fu Panda the next month and that's their that's their licensing calendar and it's been and a really exciting but it is a very exciting business it's almost like being back school teaching where all the kids are in the playground saying please pick me pick me for the team Mm -hmm. because every every company that has a powerful license really wants it to be promoted by McDonald's in a Happy Meal, because then the whole world knows about it immediately. The the There's no advertising budget that any company has put behind a product that's equal to that product being a Happy Meal.
0: How long have Happy Meals it? been around?
1: 36 years.
0: Wow, and but. counting. So has the license business itself shifted at all? Uh,
1: yes, when... When we first started doing Happy Meals and the licensing business in general, Mac, uh, McDonald's and and licensors thought of China as just being a tag-on throwaway market. Nobody targeted a license specific to appeal to the Chinese.
0: Ah, okay, I see what you're saying.
1: Um, and in Asia, it's been the Japanese licenses that the Asians have, have preferred over the American and European licenses. But some American companies have become really smart about it. For example, DreamWorks, their Kung Fu Panda movie, that has been more popular in China than any other and um, more popular in China than anywhere else in the world. They thought about what the chinese would enjoy know your market know your
0: customers. yes mm. that's a great example are there others like that where where they where it was really figured out that that there was a product that was unique for this area
1: well there there are a lot of companies actually making movies and television shows in china for china and they don't care about the rest of the world because china is itself such a huge such a market. big one
0: so for Beat Bugs as you call it that's B E A T Bugs mm-hmm. um are there movies or are there going to be movies associated with that
1: Yes we have Netflix have just signed up for the second series so the first series launched in August and November of um last year there uh, will be dance videos launching this year and um a holiday special will come out in November then next year that will all go to free to air and Netflix will have their next series in 2017 there's going to be touring live shows so when you say free to air you mean they they make their money off
0: it this year and then it just is is for anybody's use and then they just come up with a new one
1: Netflix have the license to use the television series for streaming okay and then and they have locked that up as unique to them for 2 years and then after 2 years it's available to go on abc bbc whatever free to air channels um so and then after series 2 of netflix then there is a a movie that's coming and then a series 3 there's 10 years of continuous content in in the pipeline for that. Gosh, Norma,
0: you're such a slacker. You haven't been doing anything since <laughs> I last talked to you. Oh, it's so,
1: okay. But they've got the Motown. The Motown series is now being produced as well. So. Oh, really? Yeah, So that's based on that amazing catalog of uh, so, Motown music and many more, many, many more. You obviously don't build a licensing company on one property. We have many in the pipeline. So, Bob Dylan, etc.
0: Wow. So other people have come here, tried to do business some with some success and but nobody with this kind of record that I know of what what what's been what's your secret what's the secret sauce here
1: Um, I would say perseverance Mm. and long-term thinking the the long-term thinking yes nothing ever happens as fast as you would expect it to and you just have to be prepared to hang in there and stay positive and Allow your positive thinking to encourage others. Um, And I just follow my mother's example. She never saw obstacles. Everything was, every challenge was an opportunity for her, and she taught us to feel the same way.
0: Is there anything we haven't talked about that you think is important to consider when you're thinking about the conversation or conversations
1: between Asia, specifically China and the West? Um, I would just simply sum it up by saying, don't underestimate China. They are a mighty power. Um, they are only going to get more powerful. So the best way is to join them. Now, one thing I haven't asked you about, how, how
0: does the relationship between Hong Kong and China, how is that going to shift?
1: That is,
0: That's been problematic. That,
1: is, that has been problematic. The, the lovely thing about Hong Kong is it was set up under British law and of course we in the West who have grown up to appreciate freedom and not being guilty unless you're proven guilty etc um, enjoy the Western civilization but there have been a lot of instances of China ignoring the, the rules of the handover and, of course, that's what's caused the the activity here. Over the last several years, yes. especially. Yeah. yeah. Will that shift? I think it'll only get worse. More, more yes. strict. Yes, I think um, we who are living in Hong Kong, as we have for over 25 years, will just have to get used to it being similar to living in China.
0: It becomes a Chinese city. I think so. Well, you know, all things do have their phases, and this may be that because it's not. Uh, if you say it doesn't, it isn't going to go back. And I would imagine that you're probably right. Anything else you want to
1: bring up? Um, no, just the fact that it's been lovely talking to you, Susan. Oh, I and anything I, I can do to help at any time? Just ask.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking part in this. I think uh, Asia and the West. This is the title of it. Is is what you how you've been living your life? It's fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. If this is the first time you're listening to Asia and the West podcast, please subscribe on your podcast app of choice. There are plenty more conversations with fascinating people from where this came. And please rate and review us on iTunes. As you may know, iTunes gives credit to reviews and ratings, and the more credit we get, the more people can discover us. And please tell your friends. Word of mouth is a powerful way to spread the word about the Conversation 360 podcast and this Asia and the West series. There's more information on our website, www.conversation360podcast.com. The show's Twitter handle is at ConV360Podcast. That's C-O-N-V 360 Podcast. And my personal Twitter is at Susan W. Bird, spelled B-I-R-D. Thanks for listening.